Welcome to New Spring Church. We pray this message has inspired you to live a great life. For more information about our story, go to newspring.org.au. Every single marriage has glorious heights and desperate lows. That's every single marriage. Every single marriage. Alright? You may come up to me and say, Dave, our marriage is always up there. I know you're lying. You either lying to me or you never see your spouse. You know? You're lying to me, don't lie. But you know, marriage is this, this amazing source of great joy and but at the same time it comes with so many difficult times and, and I think Paul was really accurate um, in Ephesians 5 when he actually described marriage and he said this, it's a profound mystery. It's a profound mystery marriage, isn't it? And I think it's because families are so different and families are so complicated. So we, we have families that might include people who've been adopted or, or fostered families. You have a stepmom or you might have a stepdad. You, you may be a family of just being a single mum or a single dad. You might have that, that nuclear family, you know, like well, what we, the, the father, the, um, the, the mother and the two kids. Or, or you might have really strong extended families. There are so many different families, but everyone's family is actually broken. And that actually puts us on pretty level ground. And, and you know what, you and I might try to be the best parent that we possibly can be, but each and every one of us as parents need to know that we have somehow damaged our children and they're going to need Jesus. <laughs> they're going to need Jesus to actually redeem and restore them. We need to know that. And I think that family is one of those subjects which can be so um, overwhelming because it is so complicated and one of the beautiful things is that the Bible doesn't ever shy away from the complications and the dysfunctions that family can actually bring. If you read the Bible, if you look at the, especially in the Old Testament, the, the narratives, the Bible talks about divorce, the Bible talks about adultery, the Bible talks about murder, talks about rape, talks about seduction, talks about betrayal. And, you know, Hollywood isn't the first place where we find the dysfunction of family. The Bible actually portrays it up front and center and lets us know that families can and will be utterly dysfunctional Yet through thread throughout the entirety of, of Scripture is this thread of beautiful grace that God actually has this plan to redeem, to restore, and to make whole every single family. And we may be sitting through the series and we may be thinking, you know what, well, my family's a little bit stuffed. You know, my family's a little bit mounted. My family's a little bit dysfunctional. Dave, you call a family dysfunctional. My, my family is so far from dysfunctional right now. I wish my family were dysfunctional. We need to know that throughout our dysfunction, throughout the hurt, throughout the betrayal, throughout where we find ourselves right now, the gospel actually brings hope. The gospel brings redemption. The gospel is the one thing that is able to bring a, fa- a marriage or a family that's torn apart and thread that family together again. Do you believe that? to stick around and allow God to work. It's one of those things. So today we're going to go back to the very start. We're going to go to the book of Genesis. And uh, in particular, this week and next week, I want to go back to the origins of family and actually find out how families kind of put together and where family kind of comes from. And Genesis is the book of beginnings. It lets us know what was happening. I don't know if you realize that before Facebook, there was actually stuff before that. There was actually stuff before the internet. There, was, there were things before the um, great empires of the world. There was actually stuff before the sliced bread, believe it or not. Before political systems, before nations, before Israel, before the church, there was the family. The family was there at the very beginning. And as we read through the beginning of 
Genesis, we find that God's very particular in actually how he brings about the creation of family. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless, void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Verse 3 says, God said, let there be light, and God said it was good. Verse 9 goes on to say, then God gathered the waters and made dry land, and he made sea, and then God said it was good. Verse 11 and 12 says that the land then produced vegetation, and the, the, the vegetation produced after its own kind. Then God said it is good. He said it was good. Genesis 1, 14 to 18, then, then God allows us to see the sun. The sun's set in position, and the sun's just perfectly positioned, so the earth's not too close to the sun that we get burned up, and not too far from the sun that we, like, that we freeze over. It's just perfectly positioned, and then he sets the moon in place in such a perfect place that, that this, the moon actually reflects the light from the sun in the dark, and it's just so perfectly positioned, and God said, well, that is good he says that is good and then god creates living creatures in the sea and and the scripture says that the sea actually teams everyone say team teams with living creatures there are so many living creatures in the earth and after building this and creating this amazing out of the masterpiece god looks at it all and he looks at it and he says mm, that looks good and then out of the fullness of who he is and out of the the enormity of of who he is he creates humans to actually share in his creation, to behold his creation. He doesn't create humans because he needs humans, but out of his fullness, he creates humans. And this is what he says in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And as soon as he creates man, guess what he does, fellas? He sends man off to work. <laughs> hey, that weren't me. That's the Bible, man. <laughs> You gotta do some work. It's good for man to work. It's good for man to work. So everything seems to be really good. Everything in scripture is good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. In fact, verse 31, God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. Then God actually says something that is different and actually gets our attention. Something happens, and God looks at it and Instead of saying it's good, he actually says something else. So Genesis 2 verse 18 will come up on the screen. He sees man just doing his stuff, going to work, naming animals. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable. I'll make a helper suitable for him. So follow as this narrative is unfolding, as it's written through scripture, as it's being revealed to us. God makes light, it's good, good. He makes a vault which separates the sea and sky, it's good. He gathers the water to make the land and the sea, it's good. He, he puts lights in the universe that can be seen, it's good. Living creatures appear in the oceans, it's good. Living creatures appear on the land, it's good. Then God says, let's make man in our image, in our likeness. And then he forms Adam, sends him to work, and then he says, it's not good. It's not good. It's good, it's good, it's good. It's not good. Adam goes to work, looks at Adam. It's not good, Adam being alone. There was something about Adam being alone that did not sit right with the original intent of his creation. There's something about Adam working alone and being alone that didn't sit right with the declaration of let us make man in our own image. You see, for man to truly be in the image of God, he has to be in what God in his deity is in, and that is community. Community. 
this week and next week we're going to look into family and what you're going to get is a bit of Trinitarian theology. That's what you're going to get. Don't get scared. Alright, don't get scared. Because we need to understand that if we are made in the image of God, we need to have some idea of who God is. We need to have some understanding. And if we can have some understanding of who God is, then we can understand, whoa, this makes much more sense. This whole family deal, this whole marriage deal makes a whole unity. In the beginning, God. In the original, in the beginning, Elohim. Elohim is a plurality. So from the very first verse of Scripture, we get this idea of God. But wait a minute. God, but plural. From the very beginning. Seems strange. And this idea is one being three persons. Okay? One being three persons. So within the one being that is God, there exist three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I like to think of it like this. Some theologians present it like this. Whenever you're like sort of looking at something, you ask a what and a who, okay? You ask, what is it and who is it, right? So when we talk about God, we might look and say, oh, what is that? And we would say, that is God. And then we ask, who is that? We would say, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the difficulty for us is that we are finite beings, so our reference point is finite, right? Imagine if someone that looked at me and said, oh, what on earth is that? Well, you would say, that is a human being, right? And then if they went a little bit further from the what and said, okay, well, who is that? You would say, well, that's David Andrew Ryder. That's who I am. But what I am is that any single person in this auditorium, there is one who... And there's one what? That makes sense. When it comes to God, there was one what, but there are three who's. What is it? It's God. Who is that? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we are finite beings with limitations. We have limitations in, in our thinking and understanding and our comprehension. And it's hard for us to comprehend an infinite being when we are finite. But the only reason why we can grapple with this, the only reason why we could even ask the question, the only reason why we could actually delve into this is that for some reason, God has decided to reveal himself to us. For some reason, God has decided to show himself to us in order that we would know him, in order that we would be invited into his story, in order to decide, I want to children. You know, God didn't have to do it. And in order for us to do that, we need to try and, gap and grapple with someone who is infinite. So it's hard for us to comprehend. But we need to understand that when we talk about God, He is God Father, God Son, and God Holy Spirit. And because He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He has forever and will forever existed in perfect love and in perfect community. I mean, there is not one time when God's thinking to Himself, I mean, I'm feeling lonely right now. Never does. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Constant love, constant community for all of time. There's not one time when, when God's kind of thinking to himself and like, like, like you know, like, like Jesus looking at, his, like looking at the Father and saying, hey, Bobs, you look a bit sad. And the Father's saying, you know, I just don't feel loved. You know, I'm just feeling... There is no time when he felt that. No time. Because for all of eternity, God is love. Perfect love, perfect community. And we are made in the image of God. Okay? So are supposed to experience some sense of what God continually has, and that is community. When God says, when God's looking at Adam, 
okay? When God's looking at Adam, and Adam's going about his business, and he's like naming stuff and all that, and Adam doesn't know any different. Adam's probably loving it, you know? Adam probably had like a pet dog, probably a pet ram and stuff. He got a pet elephant. You know, how awesome is that? Adam got to do whatever he wanted, like swing from trees and all that kind of stuff. He got to do whatever he wanted. You know, he got to run around naked all the time. It's like, awesome. <laughs> Fellas like, do it. No, anyway. Adam didn't know any different, but God looked at Adam and said, mm -mm. he's made in our image. He needs to experience some sort of sense of what we experience. When God says it's not good for man to be alone, he wasn't saying that boy need to get married. He was saying that boy needs community. That boy needs community. That's what he was saying. That person, that boy, that man, he needs community. And we find that the first place where community is found in Scripture is the family. The first place where community is found. The first place where community is found is not the sports club down the road. It's not the school yard. It's not even the church. The first place where community is found in Scripture is Family. Does that make sense? I've tried to take a big theological thought and actually bring it down for us to understand it. We need to understand it. Now, with this idea of family and this idea of community, there are three big things which I believe that family provides. And understand, these things can be found elsewhere, but the first place they should be found is family. Okay? Three things are this. Significance, dignity, dignity, and identity. Three things. Significance, dignity, and identity. Let's break them down. What's significance? Significance is simply this. What is my purpose? What's the purpose? Identity. Who am I? That's an important one, isn't it? Dignity. What is my value? Three big things that community is supposed to tell us. Three big things that family is supposed to provide. Significance, what is my purpose? Identity, who am I? Dignity, what is my value? And you know what, I really believe that it is actually the family unit, it should be, I understand that a lot of times it isn't. A lot of the times it isn't the first place, or the second place, or the third place, or the fourth place. But we as followers of Jesus Christ, as part of families, and even those of us who are single and one day you'll be married, you need to understand before you get married, the family coming together, it's the creation of a new family, dignity and dignity. Three things that you're going to need. Is that okay? The thing which I find is that we live in a culture that kind of tells us otherwise. Um, I'm getting a bit older, so I tend to like what I'm um, listening to talkback radio now. Um, when I was younger and my dad used to put talkback radio on, I thought, what is this rubbish? And now that I'm like approaching 40, I listen to it all the time. But uh, they regularly have teachers on, especially in the school holidays, they've had these things of teachers and, and um, just like really champion and just sort of saying how well teachers do. And there are all these teachers who uh, started calling in and even some principals. And, and what they were actually saying is that the, being a teacher nowadays seems to be more difficult because parents seem to have sort of handballed their responsibility when it comes to discipline, when it comes to guidance, when it even comes to like, like things like homework and all that. And the teachers are saying, we get overwhelmed so many times because we actually are expected to do 
what parents previously did. Because we're living in this culture where, as a family, we're kind of handballing responsibility. And, and even youth pastors and all that. And, and I can tell you a very similar thing when it comes to pastors and youth pastors and, and kids' church pastors. And, and there is this burden, there's this expectation that we're, we're expected now to actually do what families in the past used to do. You know? That's kind of this thing at the moment. And the reality is that that might be a trend that's happening, but that's actually not really right. Because the place where discipleship should happen is not firstly in the church, it's actually firstly in the home. It's firstly in the home. The place where significance has to be firstly in the home. The place of, of identity has to come firstly from the home. The place of dignity where value is bestowed and, and young children feel that they're loved and they're worth and they're, they're valuable firstly has to come from the home. Do you agree with that? Everyone's got very quiet on me. Very, very quiet on me. But it has to happen in the home. So those three things, significance, identity, and dignity. Now, we haven't got time. Dignity as a husband. How do you put dignity into your family? How do you put dignity on your, your wife and onto you, particularly your children? Because I think there's a huge onus on parents here to actually make sure that our families are the first place that our children find community. That they don't need to go tracking with their friends in high school and all that, tracking up a road. I know like when I was in high school, we used to like go off and do all sorts of stuff and there would always be the thing, hey, come up, we're going to go hang out with the Rolly boys up the hill and all that kind of stuff. Like my, my, my sense of, of community can't be in my peers. It actually has to come from my family. Has to be first. Has to be first. What is my value? Value, value, value. I've come to understand that value makes you do crazy things. So in our household, we have these pieces of material that are all over the place, pieces of material. And um, <laughs> they get treated better than our dog, Oscar. And dog, Oscar, if you met Oscar, he is beautiful. He is a lovely golden retriever. In the car, they spend the night under a warm blanket. Um, Andrew and I, we've spent hours upon hours upon hours looking for these pieces of material, these pieces of material are Kayla's blankies, okay? Kayla's blankies. They are ever, she may even have one of her blankies with her right now. They, these things are, are, and you know what, in, in one respect, these pieces of material, they're not even worth 50 cents, because they're ripped apart, they're faded, and man, they stink so often, and you know, they, they just like, ugh. in one sense, they, 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 they're just like, worth so little but in Kayla's eyes they are worth so much because even though monetary wise they're worth less than 50% there is a value that Kayla has actually put on them which actually means because of the value Kayla's put on these pieces of material that are ripped apart that are faded that are stinky and all this sort of stuff that mummy and daddy have to go looking for it there's a value on it which means that we may be sitting in the car ready to go and Kayla will go, my blankie, and I know what I have to do. I need to turn there and I'm looking for these stupid pieces of material. I know because Kayla puts this value on these pieces of material that they actually get this lovely, like they, they, they go to bed with her and they go under the doona. And it's like, this is crazy. You see, whenever you put value on something, it can make you do some crazy things. Or even those people around you do some crazy things. And the thing about value is that Value, it may only be worth 50 cents, but the value is not really dependent on that. The value is dependent on the person who puts the value on a thing. Isn't that right? Yeah. That's what it is. 
So you might have something, and I might think, well, that's just a piece of junk, but in your eyes, you've actually placed a certain amount of value on it, and for you, it might be priceless. Because I've got to tell you, I'd be more than happy to like get rid of these pieces of material, but I couldn't sell you a piece of these blankies for a thousand bucks. Because Kayla would say, no, because she's put a thing of value on it. Value is completely dependent and determined on the person who has placed the value on it. Imagine this scenario, regulated by government. In fact, the value was determined by peers. Imagine if we had that kind of currency running around in the world. Well, hello, cryptocurrency. Hello, Bitcoin. Hello, the future of the financial world. Apparently, we've got that. We may invest in stocks and they rise and they fall. How do they rise and they fall? Depending on the value that is placed upon them, isn't it? See, value is something that we place on something, you know? You may think something is not good, a piece of material is not even worth 50 cents, but I've got to tell you, I don't even think I'd be able to sell it to you for $200,000 because Kayla would say, no. Because in her eyes, she has placed that value on that piece of material. And the value that you place on a thing, it can make you do some crazy, crazy things. Think about the value that God has placed on humanity, right? We're made in the image of God. There is no other creation, there's no other part of creation that's made in the image of God, right? So he kills an animal. Could you imagine that? He's looking, he creates an animal, he says, this is so good. This is so good. Creation, so good. And yet he kills an animal to cover them up. What does that let you know? That there is greater value on humanity than even on creation okay now here's what happens okay now this might mess with you it might upset you a bit i don't really care this is what happens we dehumanize humans and we start humanizing things that are not humans that's what's happening in the world now to be great stewards we need to look after all of creation okay but understand that humanity is the crown of creation and if we start messing with that it's outside but god does that he does something that's crazy like even now, if like God came down and, and he said, oh, there's a need, we'd freak out. But it's because he placed a value on humanity. Okay? That might mess with some of you, but that's okay. Um, I'm okay with that. He puts up with words and language. He puts up with dis- disobedience. He uses these, how, how he's feeling. So he'll use and language to try to let us know what we've done to him, how he's feeling. So he'll use words like, "You Israel, you've committed adultery towards me. And he'll say things to Israel, his people say, I want to divorce you. Can you, can you understand? Like, I can't fully comprehend it, but anyone who's actually experienced that with their spouse would, would be able to understand that there is something that is so deep. It's wrenching, it's hurtful. And, and that's how God's trying to explain to us what's happening. And he puts up with that. He puts up with that. Because he wants to let us know how he feels towards us. God comes in Jesus and, and Jesus actually takes the brunt. He takes the penalty. He takes the wrath of God. Right? The profundity of the gospel is that God takes the penalty that he must impose in order for him to be righteous. In order for him to be just. It's almost like, you know, that woman who was like caught in the um, act of adultery and a fellow got away somehow. I don't know how that happened. But all the stones, well, the reality is... That Jesus actually steps in between and he gets hit with the stones. That's the gospel that God takes the hit. God takes the penalty. And God puts so much value on us that he does that. And he puts so much value on us after he does that. And he actually allows us out of free will to still 
reject them. To still reject them. The wrath of God is either poured out on the cross or in hell itself. And God puts such value on humanity. And he says, it's your choice. You're not a robot. I love you so much, I'm going to allow you to choose. And the reason why some people may go to hell is not because God sends them to hell. It's because they've chosen to go that way. This is the kind of value that God puts on us. All because, he says, let us make man in our own image. So God puts this immense value on every human. And the very first place that we're supposed to experience this immense value is actually in the family. The family. So how do we bestow this value? Well, I'm going to say that the very first thing we can start working on this week and be challenged on this week is the area of our words. How we use our words to bestow value. Because words, we might say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a load of rubbish. Words cut deep. They cut deep. Luke 6.45, Jesus saying a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Is full of. Proverbs 18 verse 21 says that the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Here's the deal when it comes to us as parents. I'm going to call the band up. We're going to close in a moment. As we come as parents, as we come as family, if we find that we've caught ourselves And instead of our words carrying value, instead of our words carrying worth, our words, and we can hear it in our own ear, our words are being used to cut people down. All that underscribes down, cut our husbands down. Bicker reasons. Every single family will go through these periods. But we need to understand that if there's a constant thing that is coming from our mouth, that is only because there is something in our heart that needs to be changed. And if there's something in our heart that needs to be changed, I'm sure glad that God took us through two series early on this year, one about the mind and the other about the heart, to help us contend with the heart in the family. Do you see how this is working? Yeah? We spent a series on the mind. We spent a series on the heart. Now we're taking it into the family. Right? Because the place where our kids and fellas, Scripture says that we're supposed to lead the charge in this, so I'm going to say this, the place where our wives should feel the most safety, the most security, the most love, and the most worth, it's supposed to be in the house. It's supposed to be in the home. And if we're in a moment where we look at this paradigm and then we look at the reality of our family and we think, whoa, there's a... This is not lining up. My family is nowhere near this, Dave. Well, understand that you're not the only one, but understand there is hope. And understand that in order for us to lead and to have God-honoring marriages and God-honoring families, that we can actually reach that, and we're going to start off with our words. How are we going to use our words this week? How are we going to use it? To lift them up. Little Kayla gets sick of me. Every morning I say, Kayla, come here. She doesn't want to come to me. Rude. Rebellious little child. I say, Kayla, I want to tell you something. And she goes, I know what you want to say, Daddy. I say, what does I want to say? He said, you want to say that you love me. 
I said, that's not what I want to say. So she comes and she have to grab it. I go, grab it. Put it on my knee. I said, Daddy was going to say he loves you. He said, Daddy was going to say, I really, really, really love you. I said, Daddy will always love you. And you need to know. I wanted to know right now. Daddy will always love you. Will always love you. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter where you go. Daddy will always love you. Daddy will always love you. I named her second name Grace, Kayla Grace, right? Because I wanted her to know that wherever you are in life, my little one, God's grace is on you. Wherever. Wherever you are. I named um, Jackson's middle name Caleb. He's good. He's going to have that spirit of Caleb. He's going to take some territory for the Lord. Names are important. But as I say those words, they're going to do that. I know that, that we, we may find that difficult. Never. Not once. You know? Um, we were watching TV and like something came on and someone said, I've never heard my dad say I love you. And Andrew goes, that's terrible. How could anyone get that? I said, babe, I've never heard that. And I think part of my parenting is a response to that. Because even though he may have, he never said it. But we need to say it. Especially as dads, because there is something about the voice of a father. The voice of a mum is distinct and it has a beautiful tone and it brings nurturing and all that. But the voice of a dad, the voice of a father has a different tone. Because when the voice of a father speaks, strength comes, backbones, it brings security, it brings safety. Amen. Amen. Are you guys okay with that? All right. How about we pray? Father, we do come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to open up Scripture. Father, I pray that as we that we're what we've heard, as we've opened up the book of Genesis, as we've referred to Trinity and, and this idea that we're made in the image of God, and if we're made in the image of God, what exactly does that mean? It means that we are to experience some of what you experience and some of what you know as being in Trinity. I hope, I pray that we would be families that would champion community. That community would first be found in our families, first be found in our marriages. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Cool. Well, next week, we're going to be talking about the power couple, right? Equality and difference of functionality. It's going to be pretty good. How about we stand to our feet? We're going to worship God and we're going to head out. Um, before the second service comes in. Let's go, church. Sing Unstoppable God. Come on, let's stand up. Here we go. Let's praise Him. Just you fall.